Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Cattlecast. Today we are chatting to George about all things lameness and how we can help and get involved. So over to you. Yeah, hi Kat and thanks a lot for uh, having me here today. I like to talk about lameness. I'm very excited actually to talk about lameness with you and share some of my thoughts with the rest of the BCVA members. George Economou, some people may already know me. I'm a professor at, of cattle health and welfare at the University of Liverpool. I worked in Greece and in the US before. Since I started working as a vet, probably almost since day one, I've been involved with their cattle health, welfare production with a focus on lameness since very early days, which is now probably my main research interest. We're doing quite a bit of research on lameness at the moment. And, uh, And a topic I'm very passionate about. People that know me know that. That's really great. And hopefully I'll make a a really good uh, listen in the podcast. What was it, do you think, that really made you focus in at lameness in the beginning of your career? So, yeah, that's that's a great question. I think when I started working, I I happened to work with farms that uh, did have lameness problems. Very quickly, I, I think it became very clear to me how big of an, an impact lameness had on pretty much everything. Obviously, the animal's welfare, but also the animal's productivity, fertility. And obviously, we know all these things from research studies. When I started then studying more about lameness, I realized oh, that was already back then almost common knowledge, but I did see it firsthand. And I, for my PhD, I was actually studying a different area. I was focused more on negative energy balance and fertility, which was back then in the early 2000s, the big topic, negative energy balance and fertility. Very quickly, I realized that the animals I was studying, looking at how they were losing condition score and how they were like this affecting their fertility, that was massively confounded by lameness. Lame cows would go a lot thinner, or maybe it was the thinner ones that were more also more likely to go lame. This had an impact on their fertility. At the same time, I worked as a cattle vet while I was doing my PhD. I was also working part-time. And one of the jobs I got to do on on a large dairy in Greece, that is, was to deal a bit more with lameness, with lame cows. So I got also interested in individual animal treatment. How do we fix lame cows? Later, I realized that we should probably spend more time preventing that from fixing. But the fixing aspect is also important. I think you need to start there and then hopefully understand that just fixing them is not enough. You just need to step back and prevent these lesions from happening, these lameness cases from happening, if possible. No, that's really nice explaining how you got involved in it. And like most things, I think as soon as you start to get interested in an area, then it highlights what we don't know. And you being the balance of of clinical practice, as well as then the the research which you've gone on to do, is quite a nice balance between that. Um, Could you just explain a bit, I guess, what state of play you think as a national herd, whether lameness is still quite important? Yeah, so I wish, I, I, I think I said that in a previous meeting recently, that I wish by the end of my career, I will be able to say that actually it's not a big deal anymore. But unfortunately, I think it's still a big deal and it's a major concern. I think the UK is doing a really good job. I think we're a country where there is a lot of research. Farmers are very engaged. I, I like positive stories and positive messages. And I think we are trying really hard to tackle this problem. But we also need to be honest with ourselves and acknowledge that it's still a problem. 
I mean, the latest studies a couple that both came a couple of years ago, one from the University of Liverpool, one from the University of Nottingham, uh, large-scale studies in total probably going over 100 uh, farms, they still show a lameness prevalence that is 28, 29%. So that would be mobility score two in three cows. There are positive messages in this. We had in both studies, you, you find farms now that are below 5%, so very well controlled and no score three cows. But at the national level, I think we still have many farms where lameness is a problem, is a concern, and we just need to, to get better with this, especially given how big of the welfare issue it is and how much pressure we have from the public to improve welfare which is important as vets, obviously, that's also a very high priority for us. No, it's really nice to hear that some farms can do it well with no score threes. There's no question about this. And I think a positive message is always important, even in the studies that show high lameness prevalence. We all have farms that on our sensitive mobility scoring, where we do really try to identify these lame cows, and we have a lameness prevalence of 28% on average, we had both the Nottingham study and our study farms with very low lameness prevalence levels, which means that it can be done, that there are ways to bring these numbers down. So you talked there about the importance of mobility scoring. Is that something you think that the vet should be getting involved in or how regularly should it be done or does it vary farm to farm? Uh, yeah, that's that's a good question. I think actually before we go to mobility scoring, I think as vets, we just need to get really engaged with lameness on our farms. And sometimes we probably don't do it as much for many reasons. There are many, there may be like issues explaining this and maybe that's not my really my area i think there are other people doing actually a lot of research on the barriers and the communication barriers maybe sometimes are important but i think vets we need to be more involved work with the farmers with the food trimmers and one of the in my experience i've done this with some farms with success and and other people are also doing this and in my experience and that's where mobility score is coming in one of the first things to do with a farm that has a problem is to clearly show that there is a problem on the farm and maybe even convince the farmer that, you know, there is a problem. And in this mobility scoring can help if it's done consistently by someone that is trained, not just by looking around the cows when they are in the shed, but how it should be done. Uh, and I'm saying this for a reason, because sometimes you get into a discussion about mobility scoring and you are talking about scoring every cow as the, as the cow exits the parlor. And the other part is talking about just looking around the sheds and saying, oh, we don't see that many lame cows here. This is very different things. But mobility scoring, I think, is important beyond this, beyond just showing to someone that there is a problem. I think it's an invaluable tool to manage lameness. And there are studies, Nick Bell in the past did some really nice work where they showed that fortnightly mobility scoring and acting, that's the important thing. Not just, not just having a piece of paper that tells you which were your lame cows will not do much. But if you act on this, okay, so we have some new cases or some chronic cases. If you do it every other week or once a month, if every other week is too much to begin with, you can even start looking at this, you know, chronic cows. This cow in the last three, four mobility scores, she was a score two. What have we done? Is this a lost cause or is it something we haven't 
seen yet. I think people, I like using these analogies, people, vets and farmers were a lot more used doing this with somatic cell counts. It's very normal to get your monthly somatic cell counts and make decisions, cull cows or treat cows or think about management changes. I don't understand why we don't do that a lot more. Some people do it and it's part of their success. I don't understand why we don't do that a lot more with mobility scores. When lameness is probably a bigger problem than mastitis now on many farms. No, I think it is important, that engagement, because I think a lot of vets get put off the lameness work. They'll be sent, you know, to trim a chronic cow that's probably been lame for months. And unfortunately, then no matter what we're going to do, it's quite difficult to make a treatment. And then you'll put a lock on one cow and you haven't trimmed a cow in sort of a month or so. Um, I think I think we can all, all see that problem quite commonly, whereas it is seeing them just as they start mm-hmm. to get lame. And that definitely is a farmer education thing as what we see as a lame cow and what they might see might actually be two different animals. Yeah, exactly. And it's so much more rewarding. The, the moment you start working this way and you start picking this earlier stage lameness, it's rewarding for the foot trimmer, the farmer, the vet, if you're involved in treating these animals, because they're a lot more likely to respond well to your treatments comparing to a cow that has been a score two or three for months. Yeah, no, definitely. And then I guess alongside that is more, as you said, focusing on the preventative aspect. So hopefully if we're working with trimmers, we can work out if it's more environmental and hygiene-based or comfort-based. Would you think that would be a sensible place to start? Obviously, this is like a huge area and we probably spent the whole day discussing this, but mobility scoring could be a good start. You identify whether there is a problem. You start doing something about these cows. You need to work with a foot trimmer, assuming that the foot trimmer is good, well-trained. They're helping instead of like doing harm. This is another important thing. But then the next step for me, it's always to look at the bigger picture and and try to answer this question. So if we have a lot of lameness on this farm, why is this? It's important to try to start getting information on what the type of lameness we're dealing with. We start working more with the foot trimmer. We may be able to get some foot trimming records or do some maybe for diesel dermatitis. It helps. I have found it very helpful to screen cows in the parlor so you can have a snapshot of the whole herd, mildly wash their feet and using a mirror and a head torch, you can like identify the lesions. That's the first big question. Is this farm struggling mainly with infectious lameness, mainly digital dermatitis, or is it the non-infectious lesions? In my experience, farms that have a big problem usually have both. So then you then need to address both. And that's then the next thing is what are the risk factors? If we have lots of digital dermatitis, and there are some big ones that you start with, it can be very complicated. And as I said, we can stay here for the whole day and talk about it. But, you know, hygiene uh, for, for digital dermatitis, are these cows standing on, on slurry for too long? Are their feet really dirty? Is there a foot bathing protocol in place? And is that done correctly? You'll be surprised with the number of times that I've asked a farmer, what's the percentage of, say, formalin? You say you use formalin in your foot bath. What's the percentage? And they don't know. They don't know what's the volume in their foot bath and how much they're actually adding. And it can vary. That's just an example, a small thing. With the non-infectious lesions, I think I always start with space, with comfort, managing around calving. What do we do with these transition cows? There is a lot of work at the moment 
trying to understand the role of inflammation around calving. And we probably, hopefully, will have some new ideas, some new tools in the next few years. There's some good work coming out of the University of Nottingham. We are also here at Liverpool doing a lot of work in this area. But we already know that some things will help if you can improve the comfort uh, in your sets and, and you increase your lying times you will see benefits. If you see problems coming in the first lactation animals, that's really where you want to focus your attention on because we know that especially the non-infectious lesions will just stay with them. The first lactation animal that gets severe bruising or a sole ulcer, we just set her up for failure for the, the rest of her life. And that's where I think interventions like creating a first lactation group, making sure these animals are not bullied, that they don't spend too much time standing, fighting over the feed barrier. And these are some just key examples of where we can start. Some of the changes sometimes may require investment. So I usually trying to avoid disheartening the farmer. I try to think of like short-term solutions, things we can do that will not cost a fortune, but will still show some benefits and then have a medium and long-term plan because I would love to see perfect, nicely designed, deep sand bedded cubicles everywhere, but that is not always easy to achieve. But these are some of the key things uh, that I'm discussing with farmers. And obviously then, and that's where the vet, I think, is very important. Each farm is different. This farm's vet is probably one of the best people to work with the farmer and the foot trimmer to come up with a plan because the vet will understand a lot better the realities of, of this farm, the personalities, who's going to be the most likely person to commit to mobility scoring and managing the data. And uh, these are also important things, I feel, like to try to identify how to approach this. And it depends, obviously, it also depends on the size of the farm, the system, and, and so on. No, I think getting used to that that team approach, you know, we traditionally do it with maybe the nutritionist or maybe the AI company if they're on sort of a, an RMS sort of program. We're used to doing a, a united team on that, whereas probably we need to put a bit more work back into the, yeah. the foot aspect and really focusing on lameness as a team. I think there are some nice success stories already. And not just here. I mean, I'm doing this mainly through teaching. I Most of my teaching is this. We do this heart health visit. So I take a group of students and I work with farmers. So I have some examples myself, but I know colleagues that have done a fantastic job working with the farmer and the food trim. I think that's where it gets very successful when you bring all the important players in the discussion. So the farmer, the food trimmer, the nutritionist should have a say, even though we're moving away from thinking that nutrition is the most important risk factor behind some of these lesions. It used to be the thinking maybe when I started working with lameness, but it's still something that we could factor in and trying to bring the nutritionist in the discussions will also help. And I think it's happening already. And one of the things I feel, maybe that's anecdotal, but I feel that is behind these very successful farmers includes this team approach, vets, farmers, herd managers, foot trimmers working together to tackle lameness. And then, as you said, it's using that mobility score so the trimmers actually know then what the mobility score is and, and vice versa. There has been work clearly showing this. We just recently did more of it. It was more of a case study doing this, and the results were very spectacular. So I like sharing this story. We were not using human 
derived mobility scores. We did this as part of a, a work we do with a company that's developing automatic lameness detection. And it's not something I want to talk too much about. It's a whole other story. But as part of the work we do with this company, we use this automatic lameness detect instead of a human scorer on a farm that at the beginning of this case study had 26% lameness on our mobility scores. And we spent six months creating lists for the foot trimmer based on the automatic lameness detection, but working with the foot trimmer, not just, we didn't just put the system in, we just went for this team approach. We would like look at the automatic lameness detection scores, create lists, link them, the list with the data from the farm, the stage of lactation of these animals, talk to the foot trimmer, talk to the farmer. And in six months' time, lameness went down to 12%. It's very impressive results. And I don't think it matters at this point in this discussion whether we did the mobility scoring using automatic detection or a human. What I want to say now in this discussion is that using this and using every other week when the foot trimmer was to come in, we would get a list of new lameness cases. We would also create lists for routine foot trims. So we, we just got organized. And I think that this big reduction in lameness prevalence is mainly because of that. We didn't change anything else on this farm. We didn't improve the comfort. We only just got more organized with the foot trimmer, talk to the farmer, use these mobility scores that were done frequently because of the system that was in place there. Score three in particular, I think, was very impressive. I don't remember the exact number now, but I think it was something like going from four or five percent to less than one percent, and overall lameness going from over twenty-five percent to twelve and a half. So that's a nice story to just really emphasize on this message that even though we're still doing a lot of research trying to better understand why cows get lame, we know enough, and there are some things we can do. To help. And that's an example of where you can start without even spending huge amounts of money. Some investment is necessary, even this, you know, get more organized with your foot trimmer or spending some time mobility scoring, but it does definitely pay back. 25% lameness prevalence costs you a lot. And an HDB actually has a nice lameness cost calculator where you can which you can use to show your farmer that. According to HDB, at the moment, you're losing that much because of lameness. Yeah, no, I think it's it's nice to have those real life success stories and equally to know that it, it can be changed quite quickly. I think in a lot of vets' heads, lameness is seen as quite a slow changing, you know, no problem. As as you said, by the time they're, if they're damaged as heifers, then we have more difficulty. Whereas, you know, if we think that actually by really focusing on this area within six months, we can make quite a difference to the whole herd. And then hopefully the payback will only increase if we're hopefully keeping our heifers free from being lame as well. Yeah, I think how fast you will see the benefits may depend on the type of problem you have and, and where the farm is. And with this farm, maybe because we were starting fairly high, just the national average really, though, that, that 25% is just below the national average. I don't know how easy it will be. We're actually doing the same thing now with farms that start at lower to see if the benefits will be the same or if it will be harder to reach this benefit. So we're starting now with a farm that is 12% lameness and want to see whether we can use the same approach to go six, but we'll see that. There is no question about it. And even if it takes a bit longer with some farms, eventually you'll see it if you're committed to this and you, you make the changes and you keep thinking about lameness and 
and you work with you know the vet worker, the farmer, and the food trimmer. I think in all cases, and until you reach this level where then it's like a well-oiled machine and you're like four or five percent lameness and you just keep on top of this, there are definitely benefits and rewards there in in these approaches. And I, I like a lot of things. I think it's when when you start a new protocol or start putting something in place, it's different and it's quite hard work. Whereas by the time you get past that and start seeing the benefits, then then it it keeps going itself almost because you're seeing yeah. the benefits. Yeah, I know that. And I know that stories from other people where you discuss this and say in the beginning, I mean, a big part of the problem is if lameness is not managed appropriately, you'll have to deal with a lot of these chronically lame cows that are just hard to fix. While if you do this for a couple of years, then things are getting a lot better and uh, you're dealing with cases that are easier to fix. You prevent lameness a lot. You, your heifers are coming in and, and are doing better. That's like a big thing. I've seen this with diesel dermatitis on a farm where we went for a very aggressive approach with diesel dermatitis and a farm that I used to do whole herd uh, DG scoring in the parlor and half of the cows would have DG lesions. You can clearly see now that the older cows still have this chronic old lesions that tells you about the history of the farm. But then we screen the first lactation animals and they're just like 3% lesions on them, which clearly shows you how, yes, historically this farm had problems, but now it's getting better. And my prediction is in a couple of years, these older chronically affected cows will go. They keep managing it the same way. They will just have a much lower prevalence of digital dermatitis across the herd. So yeah, that's really nice to get some success stories. So even though research is still ongoing with what we already know, we can make some differences. And moving on to research, and I guess why you've been nominated to be on part of the podcast today was that aspect. I wondered if you'd like to tell us a bit more about the project you're working on now. Yeah, that's great. And uh, actually, we are at the moment... I think we're running like several different projects on on lameness, and I'm very excited about all of them. But wanted specifically to talk a little bit more today about the work we do on on genetics. And I've actually uh, gave a talk uh, to the recent uh, week of webinars, uh, collaboration with the Cattle Hoof Care Standards Board. So if people are more interested for all the details, they can like I can refer them to to this talk that is available to all BCVA members and this webinar. We have been working on a large-scale lameness genetics project the last couple of years, maybe more than a couple of years now. Followed a large number of animals, maybe that would be like almost 2,500 cows uh, very intensively. We picked their feet up on multiple times across a lactation. So we have what we call in, in the genetics terms, very well phenotyped animals. And that was us, that was the research team that were picking the feet up so we can really trust uh, this information there. These animals were also genotyped. So we looked, we're doing a lot of work at the moment on how the cow's genetics, their genotype may explain part of their susceptibility to certain lesions. Some of the results we're now sharing and we're about to start submitting papers and publishing papers. And I presented some of the work at the webinar uh, one of my PhD students, Matt Barden, actually gave a talk at the recent BCVA Congress too, so people may have heard some of this over there. And the things we're seeing that I, I'm excited about is what I always believed really is that genetics is actually a big component of susceptibility to lameness. We used to think some of the older studies will 
you'll see that you know what we call the heritability is really low, which means that genetics it's not a very big deal for for lameness. But I always thought that part of this may be the fact that a lot of these studies rely on what I call maybe poor quality uh, phenotypes or data from farm records, from vet records, trimmers records that may be inconsistent. So when when we very consistently monitor this. Animals and it's a large number. We didn't follow 100 cows. We followed 20, roughly 2,500 cows very consistently. Then we clearly saw that the heritabilities are actually high. Just an example: the heritability we get for soil ulcers is uh, 0.29%. That's almost as high as the heritability for milk production. There is definitely genetic variation there. We can select for cows that will do better with these lesions. Uh, and the results we get for digital dermatitis are similar. The other thing that is also quite exciting to see is that we use this data set to have a look at how the current HDB genetic evaluations for lameness are performing. Hopefully people will already know that, but when you go and look at the bulls proof now through HDB, there are some lameness-specific genetic evaluations. So HDB is already producing breeding values for animals on what they call lameness advantage and on a a different index that is called digital dermatitis index. So the idea with this, and they've only came out like in the last two or three years, and that was always something I thought we need, because before that, you would ask a farmer whether they select for lameness, and they will say, yes, we look at feet and leg type traits which is just telling you how this cow's feet look like. And there is some evidence that this may help a little bit with lameness, but it's not the true phenotype we need. The true phenotype we need is whether these cows get lame or not. So what the HDB is doing now with lameness advantage and digital dermatitis, they are trying to collect actual lameness uh, records, and they are already producing genetic evaluations using... Uh, lameness records from uh, farms. I've been a bit skeptical about this because the lameness records that are being used in these evaluations are coming from milk recording. And my experience is that most farmers don't bother recording lameness on CIS and NMR. First thing I want to do, and I will share this with you, is I want to just validate how well, if it does work at all, how how well would lameness advantage uh, work already. So what we did, because we genotyped the cows, we used the genotypes to calculate the lameness advantage. And then we looked at whether these predictions, these lameness advantage predictions at all agree with what we actually saw when we picked this cow's feet. The message is actually very positive, even though HDB is currently using what we all agree is suboptimal data for lameness. Because they use like hundreds of thousands of records, they are already picking on the genetic background of these animals. So what we saw, for example, we looked at the cows that, according to HDB, had the best genetics for lameness advantage against the worst genetics for lameness advantage. And we saw massive differences in the actual soil ulcer incidence uh, on this population, according to our research records. I don't remember exactly that. I think I can give you an example. It could be the scale of best genetics group had maybe 5% soil ulcers during our study. 
worst in ethics group had 23% soil ulcers. So really big and very statistically significant. And it was the same for digital dermatitis. I think at the moment, the message is I really want to get out there. And I think vets can have a role in this because we discuss things with the farmers. We can bring it up next time we discuss lameness is that genetics will not eradicate lameness, but it's, it's a major risk factor. People can see it as a, just as a, another risk factor. What HDB is already producing can help. So I would clearly advise people to look at lameness advantage and go for positive values. So it's the positive values that are good. And the same for digital dermatitis. No, that's really nice to hear that HDB have got something out there already. And sometimes it's just that new fresh idea or a new option of how we can look into it can sometimes motivate that start of the discussion and then we can bring in some of the things that we already know but it's just starting the conversation is sometimes so tricky. Yeah and actually my experience just recently since we got these results but by bringing this up with a couple of my farms the farms I work a lot with even though they were aware of lameness advantage indeed the digital dermatitis index but would tell me that we didn't really think that this will work. And I was part of it. I was skeptical. So we didn't really look at it, but now we will. And I really think we should try to get this message out because it will make AIDS to be happy, but because that's what our results are saying. If someone wants the actual results, they can go to the webinar because I have some of the key findings. The main tables will be there. We hope to submit this as a paper soon. But it takes some time for the paper, obviously, to go through peer review and, and go out. So, yeah, so that's exciting. But I think that now brings me to this, this new project, uh, building on, on the research we've been doing on genetics so far. We applied and, uh, and won a grant from uh, HDB and BBSRC. So this is BBSRC, the Research Council uh, money that went to HDB to fund research on important livestock endemic diseases. So we won... Uh, a grant, which is it's not very big, but it's something I always wanted to do. I thought it would be the logical next step, and hopefully it will be a really good start with the help of many people. So what uh, what we proposed to do in this grant, what we uh, we did was, our argument is that according to our findings, lameness advantage and diesel dermatitis already work well, even though we know they're using the data that are not the best possible sources of data. So I think it can only get better and more accurate if we use other sources of data that could help. And the obvious place to go there and other countries, I didn't came up with the whole thing. I, I know that other countries are doing this. The obvious place to go is foot trimmers, uh, foot trimmers records. So our proposal is to try to bring foot trimmers records together in a, in a central database that we will eventually share with HDB and SRUC that is running the genetic valuations for lameness. We will work a big challenge for this, and that's where we can like use any help we can is to, to like increase awareness about this project. And, and we need the consent of all the farmers. We, I cannot just go and grab the data. I know where the data is actually, but I cannot just go and grab it because I need everyone to consent and we'll have different routes of getting consent. Everyone knowing about this is a good start. Vets knowing and maybe mentioning it, oh, you know, there is this project. If you get this 
opportunity to consent, maybe it's a good idea. The main data we'll go for will be through foot trimmers that is, are using all four feet, which is a well-known software. It's cloud-based, so all the data is already there. And with this, it, the consent forms will also reach the farmers and the foot trimmers through all four feet. So at some point, you'll, the next time when we set it up, you'll open, you log in all for fit and you'll get this information about the study and you can consent to this. For these farmers, the vets can only just bring it up and say, oh, if you're using all for fit, it will be fairly easy, actually. We hope that it will be at some point in December where they will start getting these messages. Just make sure you log in and you click consent. Maybe a chance for the vet to start having a look at this all for fit data. Some people don't realize that if your farmer is working with a professional foot trimmer that is recording on all four feet, you can get login access to the data for your farm. And that's how maybe you can encourage them to also consent to the, their data being used. Uh, where vets can help us even more, and that will apply to certain practices, is that we've also been talking to VetImpress, which is a software that is exclusively used by vets and has very good uh, lameness records, the opportunity for foot trimmers to record. So we are talking to practices that we know have their own foot trimmers and use vet impress. And with these colleagues can help even more because it will mainly them that will make sure the farmers are happy and they can consent through vet impress so we can then get the data. We will be running more webinars and I will be meeting with the vet practices. I'm happy. If anyone listens to this and wants more information, happy to share you. My email is probably available and my name is very weird. So if you type it, my last name and, and Liverpool, you'll find me. Uh, so especially vets that have their own foot trimmers and use vet impress can help us a lot because it's the process of making sure there is the consent. The data is already there. So all for fit and vet impress, there is like, a very rich data set already there, but I cannot, an IHDB cannot just go and grab this data because we need to make sure that it's done, you know, following GDPR and uh, and all that. So that's that's the, the main thing. And we're a bit tight with time because it's a short-term project, but I really hope that by the end of it, we'll have a large number of farmers and vets signing up and saying, yes, we're happy for the data. And then we'll keep it going. We hope to keep this going. Uh, there is a, a colleague here at the University of Liverpool. Maybe colleagues will remember him from his time in Zoet. It's John Tallock that is also very involved. He's really good with the big data crunching. So you may also be hearing from him from time to time. I think uh, in the end, we hope to have like this really uh, useful data set that we will start using, and then we will also probably put effort into improving it. Maybe we'll try to run webinars or even face-to-face -face events where we'll improve the recording and the consistency of the recording. But at this point, we're just after the data that is already there, which is very useful. It's already there and it's going to be very useful. Collecting data on foot trimming is another useful conversation, I think, to start the whole lameness chat on yeah. farm, your trimmers exactly. are using, where you're putting it. Because without that data, you know, it's so hard to start these conversations. 
we actually hope it's not with this grant, I need to focus because it's a small grant, short period of time, I need to focus on the genetic side of things because that's my main deliverable. But we are already putting it in the consent forms and it's a, it's in our, uh, we are thinking about it on how this data set could also then become very useful for vets, consultants, foot trimmers as a benchmarking tool where we can anonymize everything, but you can look at where your farm is in this central. That's for the future, but maybe another motivation for the vets and the farmers to be more involved beyond the genetics. The genetics to me is enough because it's a hugely beneficial thing for the industry if we can improve our genetic evaluations and breed cows that are less susceptible to lameness. But we could also use this effort to eventually develop tools that in the same way we're using somatic cell count analysis and clinical mastitis analysis, we start doing proper analysis on lesion records, mobility scores, and, and so on. No, that is really great and really clear your, your passion on this subject and how you've got so many more ideas of what you're going to do next. So I think that was really helpful. Thank you. Thank you, George. That was a great insight into the new research into lameness happening at the moment and how we can get involved and help. But also a few ideas how to get the conversation started on farm and not to forget a few positive case studies thrown in too. As ever, please contact us if you have any other questions or comments about this podcast or any of the others. Thank you.